To make your kiss incomplete I wanna talk to you When life reaches out and takes you Welcome to Press Try by Track presents Stevie Wonder Classics, and today we're going to be talking about If You Really Love Me, which is effectively the first single released during the uh, this kind of classic era. Um, from the album Where I'm Coming From, released on the 12th of April 1971, on the track we have Stevie Wonder and uh, the Funk Brothers, who obviously we can talk about um, exactly who they were. Mm. Uh, not all by name, because I don't think this podcast needs to be three hours long. <laughs> um, the track was written by Sarita and Stevie and is three minutes. And joining me to talk about today is Zachary Hoskins. Hello, Zachary. Hey. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the kind of the main the main thing that I think uh, really sells this single. Something that I'm obviously touching on uh, with these reviews is the fact that Rolling Stone was pretty scathing to the first two albums <laughs> in this run. Mm. Um you know, they, I don't know why, but the reviewer just did not like where I'm coming from and music of my mind. He just did not like those albums. Um, but he kind of admits that, um, you know, if I really, if you really love me is, you know, a, a kind of a good love song. Right. You know, and it's kind of, it's got Stevie Wonder's charm. And that's pretty much as much, like, <laughs> that's as much as he kind of says about it. Um, he just says it's a, you know, an unassuming love song, pleasant vehicle for, for Wonder Charm. That's, that's kind of, I think the fact that it's only three minutes long, he's kind of like, yeah, you know, it's not terrible. <laughs> <He's> a, <yeah. laughs> um, you know, is kind of the, the level that he's working at. Um, but I mean, I, this is probably one of my favorite songs from this album. Like, it's just, I, I kind of like the the kind of the, the the big the kind of switch up that it goes through. Like you have the kind of chorus of the if you uh, really love you me why won't you tell me? Mm-hmm. And that kind of repeats a few times, um, and then it goes into the verse, and the the pace completely changes. The instrumentum <laughs> changes. It's almost like it's a completely different song. Right. And then it kind of speeds up a little bit, and then it turns back into like this kind of upbeat funk number, and it's. It's kind of amazing that, like, this is... I don't know how old Stevie Wonder is here. What, 21, 22, something like that? You know, he's basically kind of instructing the Funk Brothers to kind of do these kind of do these very kind of complex arrangements where we switch from this kind of upbeat kind of like funk stuff to this more kind of conventional kind of like soul ballad stuff. Yeah. And it's just... It's kind of remarkable. Just like the kind of the arrangement and the production is... Like, even if... I mean, the lyrics are kind of... I mean, there's one bit where he says goofing around later on in the song, which I just love. Um, <laughs> that he kind of throws... He keeps saying playing around, and then in one line, he just says goofing around. Yeah. Um, and that's something I really like about, like, young Stevie Wonder is... Um, he has this thing of occasionally... Like, he'll be singing something, and then he'll just throw a different lyric in, and then just kind of continue as if he never did it. Um <laughs> And it's and it's just a nice little touch that he does, but yeah, I just love the kind of the the kind of the arrangement. It's you know like it, what's really weird is this is a, effectively like the final um, song that the Funk Brothers performed on. Mm. I think um, like that's how kind of momentous it was. Like um, it was it was basically like one of the the last thing. I mean after after kind of uh, you know recording this 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 kind of um, this album at uh, at Hitsville. Um, Stevie Wonder basically moved out to New York and then did the rest of his albums in the 70s, recording them in New York. Mm, um, right, yeah. Uh, uh, because obviously he was no, like his his contract gave him full like creative freedom. So he didn't have to kind of stick around and use like Motown's musicians. He could he could use whoever he wanted. Um, 
And so, you know, like this was basically the last time that they kind of performed on a Stevie Wonder song, but also like as a, you know, as an outfit. Um, And it's it's kind of interesting that this is, you know, like the final, um, you know, the final kind of thing. What I find is interesting is the previous single to this um, was uh, Stevie Wonder's version of We Can Work It Out. Mm. Um, And obviously that's also a song that uh, due to the fact that it's basically one of the very few Beatles songs that is actually 50-50 Lennon and McCartney. (laughs) Um, And so you have the kind of, you know, try to see it my way, which is the, the kind of the McCartney half. And then the, you know, life is very short, which is the the, the Lennon part. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and so that song kind of goes from being um, like a 4-4 four, four into like a 3-4 um, between like the verse and the chorus, because obviously it's written by two completely different people at two completely different times and then kind of melded together by George Martin. Right. And I think that this song almost kind of emulates that where it feels like the the choruses are a different song to the verses so i don't know if like the fact that you know stevie had kind of recorded we can work it out like you know a couple of months before he did this that maybe that was on his mind and that was kind of like his thought process for for writing this song but uh, it just kind hmm. of i don't know just kind of stands out to me that like that was the last single of basically his career as a Motown, I don't know, I guess like a Motown stooge, basically somebody who had to kind of <laughs> obey Ber- Berry Gordy. And then this is the first song of his kind of his new career. And it's kind of interesting that they're, they're kind of very similar songs. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I think it's fitting too, because so much of this sort of this Baroque era for, for Motown um, is about <clears throat> kind of integrating the, sort of experiments and uh and changes that have, were occurring in in songwriting in the in the pop world being driven by people like Lennon and McCartney and Bob Dylan into soul music which um well you know I, I there's kind of a there's a danger in in like underrating um early Motown which is of course an incredible body of popular music uh but it was also you know inherently conservative it was about what barry gordy thought would make money and you know he took this kind of assembly line process and used the same musicians and everybody shared songwriters and uh you know it was a very very different um more of a kind of tin pan alley approach to what people like dylan and the beatles were doing so in the late 60s early 70s when you see stuff like uh like Stevie Wonder this this kind of first album of his uh of his classic run um and you see you know uh, the the same time that the Rolling Stone review covers both this and um both where I'm coming from and uh what's going on by Marvin Gaye you know like that this is how much of a sea change it is these are two you know really monumental albums obviously both at the time and I think now uh, what's going on is kind of a little more, it it, it, it it became more of a classic than where I'm coming from did. But I think you're, you're seeing the same kind of thing happen where they're integrating these different ideas that they're taking from, uh, you know, kind of progressive uh, pop music and, and doing the same kind of thing in the R&B world. I mean, I think obviously the advantage that, um, Marvin Gaye had is he had already gained his creative freedom um, within Motown. So right. you know, something like what's going on 
it, it, like it was more um you know Marvin Gaye was in control of what was, that record was uh, whereas this is still Stevie Wonder a little bit kind of under the control of Motown. You know, his new contract didn't actually start until the next album. Yeah. The the di- kind of the dismissal of the Funk Brothers uh, apparently was was mostly... <laughs> I mean, obviously this goes to show how terrible Barry Gordy was as a person. Um, <laughs> it was basically just a notice on the studio door. Like people turned up, you know, in, in Detroit expecting to record, you know, that day. Mm. And they just saw a notice on the door basically saying, we've all gone to L.A. <laughs> and, you know, if you didn't know that, then that's it. You're no longer, you're no longer part of Motown. Right. Uh, and Barry Gordy just basically relocated. <laughs> I can then understand why um, Stevie Wonder was like, I'm going to go to the other coast then. Like, I'm yeah. gonna, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're going to L.A., I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to stay as far away from you as I could possibly can so I can be as free as is humanly possible. Yeah. Um, you know, and just kind of not, you know, not take part in any of that. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I think I think it's kind of funny that... Um, I, I think this song, again, like it, it feels like a bit of a holdover from kind of the old Motown stuff. I think mostly because the Funk Brothers are kind of the backbone of the arrangement and and obviously you know one of one of the things that you know Barry Gordy was known for was just using all these people and giving them no credits whatsoever right <laughs> and I think right towards the end when the different musicians kind of started to ask for credit I feel like that was probably their undoing I think that maybe <laughs> you know at that point Barry Gordy was like okay I think I need to move to a different city and have a different kind of standard backing band and obviously I think that's where the wrecking crew then came in mm-hmm. um so, you know, but so really we have no kind of individual credits, you know, for who was on this this kind of record as part of the Funk Brothers. Um, but, you know, it's kind of unmistakable, like the horn arrangements and just the kind of interaction with the voice. And it's very, like it feels slightly out of place with the rest of the album because the rest of the album isn't kind of this kind of busy mm-hmm. uh, in terms of its arrangement. It's a lot more Stevie Wonder and a synthesizer like that's you know the arrangement on a lot of the other songs is a little simpler but this this song kind of feels more which i can see why they had it as the single though um and it did you know it did reasonably well it got to number four on the r&b chart it got to number eight on the, the top you know on the hot 100 um you know so it I, I can understand its success because it does feel like a bit of a throwback like motown song and i i think exactly like you said it it has that it has that classic motown you know horn arrangement and um it's it's very the sound is is still very recognizable but you can in terms of structure and in terms of the way that you know the song is arranged you can you can see Stevie Wonder starting to to stretch a little bit in some different in some different directions and, and so it's 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 an interesting I, I think of where I'm coming from as kind of a, a a transitional album you know for many of the same reasons that you that you mentioned it's like he's not completely he doesn't have that complete creative control yet but he's obviously uh moving in a different direction than when he was doing things like uptight and um you know i was made to love her and 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 all of that stuff uh and this and this feels this song feels like right in the middle of between you know that first era of stevie wonder as the motown star and uh you know this uh creative explosion that that your podcast is about uh, i think cyrita's influence as well on the feels like i mean obviously in the chorus it's it's only like one line kind of repeated over and over again <laughs> uh, but in the verses i feel like we get just a tiny bit of like the influence of 
um, you know, the the kind of uh, the relationship that he was having with Cyrita, which is something that certainly on these first two albums is ex- kind of very celebrated. Like uh, this and Music of My Mind, there, there's so much kind of you, you. It basically feels a lot like a kind of teenager in love yeah. expressing himself as as clearly as he possibly can in song. Um, so this whole thing of like, you know, you call my name so sweet to make your kiss complete when your mood is clear, you quickly change your ways. That, feel, that feels like there's something's <laughs> happened there. And there's, you know, Stevie's kind of getting it into a song. It's like, then you say, I'm untrue. What am I supposed to do? Be a fool who sits alone waiting for you. So it's like, you know, there's a there's a kind of relationship there where there's maybe something's happened. And, you know, he's just kind of he's waiting to hear, you know, like, if you really love me, why won't you tell me? So like that longing to hear something. Um, and, you know, I can see the light of your smile calling me all the while saying, you are saying, baby, it's time to go. Uh, f- first, the feeling's all right. Then it's gone from sight. So I'm taking out this time to say, you know, like, so again, like it feels like whatever, you know, whatever happened in the first verse is kind of resolved by the second verse. Yeah. And it's just this this kind of pl- this pleading for, you know, if you really love me, why, why won't you tell me? Um, and then the, the kind of the as the as the outro is going on, this whole repetition of then I won't have to be playing around and the kind of, you know, playing around. Um, and then, of course, like I said, he throws in there goofing around, uh, <laughs> which is just my favorite kind of little touch of his, his. And then kind of goes to the fade out with him just saying, oh, baby, playing around. And, you know, it does fit like, uh, you know, as we go on, the kind of ballads that Stevie Wonder writes will become more kind of complex and more heartfelt. And, right. You know, kind of uh, uh, some of them are kind of very raw, particularly after he divorces Sarita, um, they are like, some of them are so kind of raw and emotional. You can just feel that he basically just went into the studio and kind of got everything down and then, you know, kind of put that straight onto the record. And, um, you know, here, this feels a bit more produced, uh, which is not surprising because obviously, you know, with the kind of horn arrangements and, and the rest of the kind of the, the Funk Brothers playing in the background, it's not like you could just literally, you know, kind of do it in one take and kind of put it on the record. You've kind of got to go back and, and there's so many kind of laying of vocals on here as well and everything. So it feels a bit more polished, um, you know, which I, you know, which is what obviously Motown was all about. Was right. this kind of extremely polished, well-delivered kind of, um, you know, catchy kind of, um, you know, upbeat pop. And so this song kind of, you know, the, the, the chorus kind of delivers that. But then the verses, it feels like it's Stevie kind of. Um, you know, a bit of tension between the old and the new and him kind of being like in the in the verses, you know, this is this is what he wants to do. But then when he gets to the chorus, he's, he knows it's going to be like a single. So he's going to kind of <laughs> make it a bit more upbeat. And I think an interesting contrast to the way that Stevie does it is um, a cover that was done by Lonnie Gordon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it completely it completely flattens the song out. Like, right. There, there is no there are no peaks or valleys. It's just one. Like the, I mean, I, uh, I, I, I can't even remember when it's from. I think it's like the. It sounds like the eighties. Certainly, the the production. It's got to be um, either late eighties or early nineties. It's like right in that, yeah. right in that like CNC Music Factory, like that area. <laughs> like, not as good, I, I should say. Not 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 as good as, uh, <laughs> but but you know, it's it's that, it, it's that like house. Uh, yeah, if you if you listen to the original, uh, if you really love me, and you think this doesn't have uh, enough house beats or 
if you watch the video, enough muscular sailors, uh, then Lonnie Gordon's version <laughs> is, is, is definitely for you. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The, I like I yeah. I think the video. I think the thing is that the way that the song has been completely flattened out, so there's that, so like the chorus and the verse are basically indistinguishable, right? <laughs> um, and it's all to the same beat for the whole thing. But then in the video, yeah, like the, the kind of these sailors dancing around in their underwear, <laughs> like that. I think that really sells the song more than anything that's, that Lonnie Gordon is doing with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, obviously this first album uh, in this in this run is is like you say it's kind of a hangover from the previous contract, so he's still kind of finding his way. Uh, but I still I still think it's a very strong album, contrary to Rolling Stones kind yeah. of scathing <laughs> review. I mean, I uh, guess when you're comparing it to what's going on, which is literally like you know w- probably one of the most critically acclaimed, probably in the top ten most critically acclaimed albums of all time. Any record yeah. is going to fall a little bit short, but um, but yeah, I, I think if if nothing else, this shows this album shows where Stevie Wonder is going to go for the rest of the seventies, and he was only you know twenty years old when he recorded this album, and um, certainly nothing that I accomplished when I was twenty years old is anywhere <laughs> in the same stratosphere. So. <laughs> yeah so i w- i mean to me i would say probably i know um i mean i would say three and a half out of five um i i think just because it feels like a bit of a mishmash between the two different styles and it's it feels a bit confused as to exactly i i think like if this had been like a couple of albums later the whole thing would have been a lot smoother and the kind of as it is it, f- it feels like one song kind of walks in halfway through another <laughs> song going on and Stevie just has to kind of stop and, and kind of slow things down and, and then kind of as as he gets to the end of each verse, you can kind of feel the tension as you know, he's going to have to speed back up to get to the chorus. Um, so I, you know, I think I kind of three and a half. I, I, I feel like, you know, the review kind of comparing it to what's going on is extremely unfair. It would be like anybody else kind of comparing to, I, I don't know, Inner Visions or Talking Book or right um, you know songs in the key of life or for, for any of the next kind of few albums after this comparing them to any other album from those years i think would be extremely unfair because right. obviously you know stevie wonder ended up having basically the best album of <laughs> you know half of this decade yeah um so the fact that this one album doesn't measure up to what's going on i think you can kind of excuse yeah um <laughs> but yeah so pro- probably no more than three and a half out of five from me I'd give it a four. Um, I, I maybe even. I mean, honestly, this is a this is a song I have a lot of affection for. It's just like a great, you know. Whenever it comes on on the radio, you, my day is a, a little bit better. Um, and I think in terms of that Motown sound, this is one of the kind of most interesting in that transitional. You know, you can hear this is a transitional period, but this is also sort of the peak of that of that style. And, uh, you know, the lyrics are very simple, but that's kind of part of what makes it so universal, but I'll, I'll give it a four and not a five because we've, we've still, this is my first episode. So we need room. We need more of a ceiling, uh, <laughs> to move up from here. Cause he would, you know, obviously go in even more interesting places after this. Uh, well then let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug Zachary? Sure. Uh, so you may, if you listen to Darren's other shows, you have probably listened to Prince track by track. Prince is still the kind of the main area where I'm doing my personal writing projects around. I have a blog, uh, called dance music, sex romance, where I am going through all of Prince's work in chronological order 
It is taking me a very long time, but I have recently picked up the pace and uh, I, I, I'll be um, I'll probably still be in 82, maybe maybe pushing into 83 by the time uh, you hear this. Uh, but it's um, it's a, it's a, it's about the journey, not the destination. So you can find that at PrinceSongs.org. And you can find us on Twitter for this project at Stevie by Wonder. Thanks as well for being my guest here today, Zachary. Well, thank you for having me. And otherwise, goodbye.